We ask that you would speak it into the very depths of our hearts. Lord, open our minds and our spirits to receive it. Open our minds and spirits, Lord, to receive you. We ask for your grace to touch us. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, I ask that you give me words to speak, but that my own words and thoughts might be forgotten. In Jesus' name. One of the great sacrifices for me in our move was to call my book selection. We had many bookcases of, of books, both at the office, at the house, and we had in the basement a couple of book, large bookcases, one in the den, there's some in the living room, there's some in the bedroom, I have my bookcases at the office, and we just looked at all of these and thought, man, that's a lot of weight to move. <laughs> and honestly, do we need to bring all of those? And so we started to go through the collection and we just took bunches of books and took them out and I have to confess, I felt a great deal of pain. We, we had a number of garage sales before we moved. And um, for uh, at least two of them, I wasn't even there. I was off doing whatever things. And, and uh, I came home after the first one. And my wife and my daughter had put everything out. They set it all up. And I couldn't believe what they had marked for the price on the books. It was painful to me. <laughs> And at the end of the day, though, the ones that didn't sell, they pretty much all went down to various places to be given away or, or for other people to use. But now I'm having that experience about looking for one of these books and going, oh, yeah, it's gone. And some of them, it's actually not so bad. I have a few books. I have actually quite a lot of books that I didn't go out and buy but, but were free. Um, some of them were gifts, some of them were giveaways, all those kinds of things. But I don't know if you've, you've had get books given to you. I mean, sometimes you, you, you're really excited about it. You rejoice because someone's given you a book. And then there are the ones where I wonder if there was a message in it. <laughs> I had a couple of those. One was called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence. <laughs> you may have read that one. Or not. And if you think I need it, I suppose you could go get another copy. But, but somebody gave me that one. Another one was uh, How to Win with People. And I think I got them from the same person. So you start to wonder at some point if there isn't a message that, that, that's being conveyed. But, but the point of those kinds of books are, are interesting because they're meant to give us advice and wisdom in how we, we deal with other people. But some of those books, as you read, you know, I stop and ask myself, why? What is it that's trying to be accomplished? Because there's that surface level of having good relationships. But sometimes there's something deeper in those. Because in that same class are books like The Art of the Deal. <laughs> I've spent a lot of times on airplanes. And a lot of airplanes have a magazine from the airline. And the chief job of the magazine in the airline is to sell you stuff. Um, especially their stuff. Mm -hmm. But often in them there's advertising. And in that advertising will be things like, buy this book and you'll know how to negotiate. And one of them as I read through, it became obvious that the point of this book was so that you can make a good impression on people 
so that you would get out of the negotiation or the conversation what you want. It was really came down to manipulation, is what it felt like to me. And there's this sense of having relationships with people so that you can have a relationship with people. <laughs> and there are those that are so that you can have a relationship with people in order to get something out of it. And I've had both experiences in dealing with people. I've had those where people will come up to me, especially once I became a bishop. That was a fascinating experience. <laughs> Before I ever became bishop, I went to, I don't know how many, um, in Canada they're called General Synod instead of General Convention. I've been to a lot of those. I've been to provincial things. I was on committees and different things. And as you show up, you, you start to see that there are certain people have an affliction, I mean a, a, a desire to be a part of these things. And they go to the meetings and you, and you get these familiar faces. And you can tell there are those who are in. They're in the know, they're on committees, they, they do all those kinds of things. And then there are those of us who, it feels like you kind of show up because somebody needs to go there. <laughs> and you, you aren't necessarily in that place. Well, after I became bishop and my shirt color changed, and where I sat changed, well, all of a sudden people treated me differently. Or at least some people did. And some of them, as they would speak to you, you could tell that there wasn't this great respect for me as a person. But now they decided they had better treat me well because I was a bishop. And there might be some kind of influence or consequence for that. Right? And people can be like that. People will be nice to you in order to get something, or people will be nice to you because they genuinely care for you. So I think back again to these books that I received, that I, I took them because the people who gave them to me were good people. They, they, were, they were friends, they meant well, and, I, and so I took them in that way. But they weren't the life-changing kind of books that perhaps this person hoped for, or, or that maybe I needed. <laughs> But there, I think there's a resistance in me to that, because it's a message that's there that, um, you know, here, you have a deficiency, let me help you. And there are those kinds of things, it may be true, I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't true, it didn't necessarily have the same effect. And then there are things like this. This came in the mail the other day, and it's not a book, and it's not, says, uh, here's five things that are going to help you or, or anything like that. Um, I opened it up and, and I, I just looked at it and all of a sudden I recognized the writing because Veronica just sent me a card because she's thinking about me. Um, and I thought about, well, maybe think about um, the difference between men and women in some ways. Men stereotypically, when you get in a relationship, you'll court this, this girl, I'm going to let you in ladies on a secret. You see this woman and she catches your eye and your heart beats fast. And so you, you dress up, you take her to nice places, you do all those kinds of things to win her heart. And the day comes when you fool her, I mean, um, <laughs> ask her to marry you and she says yes. And it comes to the big day and you go, yes. Okay, next thing. <laughs> now I've got to work on my career or my education or whatever. And, and men, stereotypical, some of us do function this way. You have this set of things that you're, you're working your way through and you sometimes think, well, I already accomplished that. I mean, there's this great line somebody 
uh, once said, where the wife says to this man, you never tell me that you love me anymore. He said, well, I told you once. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but where she was coming from is she needed that relationship. She wanted to engage. She wanted to know how life was going and, and to continue and to carry on. And so there are these kind of differences that show up. It's just like some people have this attitude towards their relationships with people. Where they're just trying to accomplish the next thing. And for some they're actually trying to grow relationships. And people bring those same kind of attitudes into their life with God. And as we look through the scriptures we see these kinds of things being played out. Different ways to engage with God, to have a relationship with the Lord. We don't often read from the book of Sirach, but we had a passage there this morning. And it really jumped out at me. Don't try and bribe God. And I thought, who on earth would try and go away a second? I think I might have done that at some point. Because through Sirach, we see it again in um, the gospel, in the parable that Jesus told. There are these attempts in some of us to try and manipulate God. We don't even realize we're doing it. But we have these pictures. There's the one who will try and put God in our debt. I'm going to do this for you, God, and then you're going to owe me one. <laughs> Or there's the one that says, God, if you do this for me, then I will follow you. Conditional way of living with God. And we don't even realize, I think, a lot of the time that we're doing that. Or when God doesn't do what we think he ought to be doing in our lives or in the world, and then we'll say, well, I, I'm not going to follow him anymore. I'll show you, God. I'm not going to come to church because you didn't do whatever it is. I'm not going to pray because you didn't do this. Or you can be like the Pharisee who stands before God and says, Actually, you know, as I look at myself, I've done a pretty good job. God, you, you should do what I want because I've done all those things on the list that you gave. I've lived a pretty good life. So there are these ways where in our approach with God, we do it in a way that's actually about manipulation or, or about trying to convince or about what's in it for me. Jesus said the Pharisee, who was a good man? The Pharisees were, were good people. The tax collector, by contrast, was considered a traitor. The tax collectors came into the community, well, actually often came from the community, knew everybody, related to people. And their job, their, what they did with their lives was to take money from the people that they grew up with and they knew to hand it over to the occupying army, to that occupying government. And the way they made their money was by, if the Romans said, this community needs to come up with 500 talents. 
Well, anything over 500 talents that the tax collector could get, they pocketed. So they were known for being manipulative, cheaters, traitors, take advantage of their neighbors for their own good. So as Jesus tells this parable, it just jumps out at people. The Pharisee, well, the Pharisee's a, a learned man. He leads us in prayer. He teaches the scriptures. Look at the way he lives. He gives us advice. We go to him to tell us what to do. And the Pharisee knew that. And so it's fascinating as you hear this parable, as Jesus tells it, because the Pharisee's standing there in the temple to pray. But what is his prayer? Lord, I thank you at how wonderful I am and that I'm not like other people. I am so good. I do all the things that you tell me to do. I tithe. I do all those things. Oh, I'm good. God, you must be proud to know me. I walk out the, the temple and down the steps and goes home feeling pretty darn good. By contrast, the tax collector knows his place and what people think of him. Jesus says he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. Sort of like standing in the dark corner somewhere hoping nobody even sees that he's there. And he's not going, oh God, thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you that I'm so great. He's standing over in the corner just going, oh. God, I, I, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I bring nothing to the table. But Jesus said he's the one who went home justified. Because he knew he needed God's grace. He asked for God's grace. And God gave him grace. And he walked away. He didn't have any illusions. He didn't try and manipulate God. He didn't try and justify anything he'd done. He just knew he desperately needed God. That's what Sirach is getting at. Don't try and manipulate God. Don't try and put Him in your debt. Don't try and say, you know God, I read 15 chapters of the Bible this week. I'm ahead. That's double what anybody should do. So, <laughs> Really, Lord, could you do this for me? Or to say, I'm going to make a sacrifice that I don't, I don't really mean it. I'm just kind of covering my bets. There are those kinds of things. And God sees what lies behind them. He sees our hearts. He sees into our lives. He sees our intentions. So we can't fool him. That's why the writer, that's why Sirach says... God is, treats us all the same. He's no respecter of persons. He's not impressed because I, I wear something fancy in church or because I've got degrees on the wall or something like that. What he wants, what he looks at is in here, in the heart. Paul writes to Timothy. This is right at the end of the letter. 
I don't remember if you, I'm not sure if you remember from last week. This follows right on last week's passage where he says, As for you, you teach, you speak, you carry on your ministry. And then today, as for me, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. My life is at its end. He's, he's probably in prison at this point as he's writing this, fully expecting to be condemned probably to death. I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I know a crown is, is waiting for me. The prize is there. Just as it is, as it is, uh, just as it is for anyone who rejoices at his appearing. And we skip a bunch of verses, and then Paul says, you know, everybody abandoned me when I was before the court, but God didn't abandon me. And I, and I hope God doesn't hold it against them that they felt they had to leave. But I know I'm in His hands, and I know whatever happens, He's going to be glorified and His kingdom is going to be extended. This is all paraphrased, by the way. See, Paul knew whether he was, everything was going great or everything was going awful. His heart was just like that in the song. He wasn't trying to bargain with God, saying, God, I sacrificed so much for you. He wasn't standing before God, saying, God, why have you not got me out of prison? Why haven't you got me out of this yet? Didn't I fast this many times? Didn't I win this many for you? Didn't I establish this many churches? Haven't I always been faithful? He just had an expectation. In fact, he wrote that to Timothy. You know, and if, you, if you're going to follow God, you're going to get persecuted and you're going to suffer. And I've known plenty and I've known little. I've had luxury. I've had want. But in it all, God has been faithful to me. And I'm satisfied with wherever I am. To me, Paul reflects the song. It's a beautiful song. Song number 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This man sat down and was writing this song. What he was trying to express is the one thing I want out of life is to be in God's presence. That's all that matters for me. I just want to know Him. My heart faints if I can't be in that place. Another of the Psalms says, My heart leapt for joy when they said, Let's go up to the Lord's house. That's where Paul was coming from. He said, the only thing that matters is that I know my God. <clears throat> See, as we think about God and our relationship with God, we can understand something. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to have a list of accomplishments. We don't have to somehow be holier than someone else. We don't come before Him and say, God, I tithe so you owe me something. We don't say to Him, God, I sacrificed or I read the Bible or I did whatever. It's not about any of those kinds of things. What God wants with us 
is a relationship. That we know Him. That we spend time with Him. And those who know Him, who truly know Him and spend the time with Him, their experience of life and the way they go through those difficult times, even persecution, is completely different. When you read Paul's letter and what he writes to Timothy, he doesn't, there's no evidence, there's no anything there that he's trying to bargain with God. There's no resentment about having had difficult times in his life. He knows this isn't his home. And his heart is already at his home in his relationship with God. And this is something that is on offer for all of us. God invites us to live our lives so that whether things are going great or things are going poorly, we aren't trying to figure out why or to manipulate God into doing something to change it. But that we just run into His arms. That we experience His grace. And that's where that tax collector ended up being. Saying, God, I, I don't deserve a thing from you. Would you have mercy on me? And so Jesus speaks to us this word of hope. That wherever we are in our lives, whatever's going on, that we can just come to our Heavenly Father and say, God, I need your mercy. I need you, I need your grace. And it's that that the scriptures say that opens God's heart to us. Not trying to impress Him, but knowing Him. And we can get to that place, we can live in that place by being like the psalmist who says, I love the presence of God. Spend time with the Lord. Spend a little bit of time, just a little bit of time each day, just reading a bit of what He said. Spend a little bit of time every day in conversation, in communion. And just saying, God, help me to be open to you today. Would you speak to me in some way today? And at the end of the day, to look back and just give him thanks for whatever things have gone on. To sing to him, to pray to him, to just have him in mind through your day. It's something we grow in. It's a practice that we live, that we do. And as time goes by, it becomes a part of us. And as it becomes a part of us, we discover we don't need to try and bribe him. Or earn something. Because we know him as our friend. As our father. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are full of mercy and compassion. We thank you that you welcome even sinners into your presence. All because of the cross of Jesus and the grace that you give to us. Lord, you see into every one of our hearts. And that as we are here this morning, some of us are in a good place. Some of us in maybe not so good a place before you. 
But we all come before you, trusting in your love and in your mercy. Not trying to convince you that you owe us something. But just acknowledging your glory and your goodness. And saying to you, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to know you better. So we ask you to open our hearts to receive your grace and mercy. Lord, draw us closer to you and put the desire within us just to know you and to be with you. So that we, like Paul, can look back on our lives knowing that we've ended it in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.